to take a look at some unexpected Christmas stories. And so here's a little bit of a review of where we've been at in the last couple weeks. Uh, The last two weeks we were looking at how John sees this Christmas story. And we looked at John chapter 1 and we saw how, excuse me, John points to the Word of God, the, the Son of God existing from the, from the very beginning and how the Word takes on flesh and comes and lives among us, dwells with us, abides with us, uh, walks as we walk, exists like we exist. It's a far more ancient beginning than just what happens at Bethlehem. Last week we looked at Revelation 12 and again what John sees uh, beyond the nativity scene in Bethlehem is this cosmic battle of this dragon waiting to consume the child and, and the dragon misses its opportunity to destroy this child. Instead this child grows to become the ruler not just of the Jews but of all nations. Satan, the the dragon of Revelation 12, attempted to destroy this child. And we talked about how the child's escape and the woman in the wilderness gives us real hope for what we all face in trials and tribulations of life. This morning we're going to take a look here at this passage that uh, Chet read for us out of Galatians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Galatians chapter 4 and we'll be looking a little bit at chapter 3 before that, um, but we will be walking through this passage this morning. As we come to the text, would you bow your heads for prayer with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us this morning through me or despite me? In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is one New Testament writer that we would love to hear his perspective on the Christmas story. Paul is primarily responsible for the spread of the gospel after the time of Jesus. In his missionary journeys, he takes the gospel all over the Roman world, taking it far beyond its Jewish origin taking it to Greeks and Romans and people of very different cultures. In fact, it's Paul taking this message beyond the Jewish origin that gets Paul often in a lot of trouble. And Paul spends several letters defending his ministry to the Gentiles. Romans is one. It's a, it's a later, fuller explanation of Uh, Paul's ministry, but Galatians is kind of like little Romans. Uh, it's, It's an earlier letter, and it is his defense of why he's taking this good news message of Jesus to people that are not Jewish, to to Greeks and to Romans, and saying this message is for everyone. So Paul uh, begins this uh, journey of taking this message. And we actually see Paul in the thick of this conversation of Jews and and Gentiles in in Acts chapter 15 when the church is, um, what's the nice word of saying it, debating, discussing, they're arguing uh, over what 
they should require Gentile believers to do, to follow? Do they have to follow all of the, the dietary restrictions and the circumcision and all the, the Jewish law? Or is faith in Jesus and, and trying to walk more closely with Jesus, is that enough? This is, again, what Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians. In chapter 3, Paul argues that faith is what matters, not following the law. Uh, in verse 6, Paul writes, uh, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Uh, Paul often uses the, the imagery of Abraham or, or talks about the example of Abraham and that Abraham believed God and, and received this promise of God without the law. The law comes much, much later after Abraham. So Abraham was able to follow God, to have faith in God, to, to be reckoned as righteous long before the law comes into existence. And yet the law serves a purpose of disciplining and, and guiding the people of God. It gives them boundaries in which to operate. But Paul begins to say, now in Jesus we have this opportunity for real faith, for real life, not just meeting these requirements of the law, not just living this way because we have to, but living this way, living in fellowship with God because of what Jesus has done. At the end of chapter 3 and verse 28 and 29, Paul is, is again, he's writing to a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles, non-Jews. And he says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. Paul's saying these old ways of dividing people and splitting people up and saying us versus them, Jews versus Greeks, slaves versus free, males versus females, men versus women. Paul's not saying that we no longer have gender or anything like that. He's just saying it's no longer us versus them. Knock off this dividing among you. He says, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I love that one of the most theologically, I think, accurate children's songs that we used to sing in Sunday school or Bible school was Father Abraham. And it was like the, the Christian hokey pokey. And we're swinging, swinging limbs all over the place. But in the, in the main part of that song, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Paul then comes to chapter 4. And he says, my point is this. Heirs, and heirs are those that are inheriting the promise to Abraham who are in Christ. He says, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves. That would have made for a fun children's story this morning. Sorry, kids, you're minors, and 
no better than slaves. But he continues on. Though they are the owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. See, it's not an inappropriate or an unloving thing to have a guardian over children who are not of age to make decisions for themselves. A couple of years ago, Katie and I were taking a trip to Nigeria. And as most young adults, uh, I assume, uh, we had put off coming up with any kind of will or guardianship of our children. But suddenly, going over to Nigeria seemed like a prudent thing to do to make sure our children were taken care of in case something really bad happened. And part of that was making sure that there were guardians for our children. People to watch over Jameson and Garrett in case something tragic happened. It's good to have parents that look out for us, that provide us those guardians. Then we come to verse 3. Paul writes, So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. Paul is talking to two groups. And he sees the Jews were enslaved to the law. A, a, a good guardian. A, a guardian given by God, but still he sees the Jewish people living and having to fulfill the requirements of the law as slaves. But on the other side are, are these Gentiles, these pagan Greeks and Romans who are living under the slavery of pagan idols, worshiping in ways they, they don't understand, worshiping gods they, they, that aren't real and that they don't understand. And so he's talking to these two groups of people that he sees as slaves. Then in verse 4 and 5, he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now we're starting to sound like Christmas. The son of God, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul begins this, this verse with this phrase, in the fullness of time. And as I was sitting thinking <clears throat> this week, what is this fullness of time? What, what's, what's Paul talking about? What does it mean for Jesus to come when he did? Why did Jesus come in you know, 3 or 4 BCE, whatever the historians want to uh, decide when Jesus came why that time? Why that place? Well, I start by saying, well, God's ways are higher than, than ours, but I think there's more to it. Jesus comes, Jesus is sent at the height of Messianic hope. For the Jewish people, they had suffered under so many foreign and, and pagan uh, governments, under Egypt, under Babylon and Assyria, under the Greeks, and now they are under the Romans. And through all of this, they are clinging to the hope <clears throat> that someone in the line of David is going to come and bring them freedom. And right around the time of Jesus, this hope is at its all-time high under the, the Greeks, 
There's a, a family, the, the Maccabees, who throw off the Greek rule. And for a short time, the Jewish people rule themselves. They govern themselves. And these Maccabees were seen as kind of a, a, a Messiah-type figure. They had conquered and, and restored the kingdom of Israel. But they are far from perfect messiahs because the Romans come in and, and crush them. So the Jewish people continue to hope and long for this Messiah to come. It's into this hope that Jesus enters. Jesus comes at the perfect time. Also at this time in history, the world enjoyed, uh, we call it a lingua franca. It's a, a common language that people could read and understand. They, everyone could read Greek. The Romans, even though they're speaking Latin, they all can read Greek. Jesus and his disciples walk around Jerusalem and Israel and they're speaking Aramaic. And yet the New Testament is written in Greek. See, from the very beginning, this message is meant to go out to other people. This is not a message that is supposed to stay with the Jewish people. It's not a message that is just for insiders that we keep to ourselves from the very beginning. The New Testament, the story of Jesus, the Gospels, Paul's letters are written in a language that is meant to be sent out and read by many other people. It's supposed to go out and it's supposed to change the world. So Jesus comes maybe at the perfect time. In the God's scheme of things, he comes at just the right time. God the Father turns to the Son and says, get down there and do your thing. And here we see Paul kind of giving an amen to what John had said of the Word of God existing from the very beginning. At the perfect time, God turns to God's Son and says, go ahead. He's, he's sent down. So the Word of God, the Son of God, has existed from the very beginning. Jesus might be born 3 or 4 B.C., but the Word of God, the Son of God, exists from the very beginning. And Paul says, God sent His Son, born of a woman. You know, right here might be the perfect place that we would like to see Paul have a lengthy uh, discourse of what he believes about the virgin birth. For us in our culture, people, they generally accept that there was this person named Jesus who went around and taught good things. Whether you're a Christian or a hardened atheist, the existence of a person named Jesus really isn't in question. But for us, what is special about Christmas is that Jesus born of a virgin, and comes into our time and our space. God enters our time and our space. So we have no problem with human Jesus, but we have questions about the God Jesus. But in Paul's day, it's the opposite. See, these people have uh, gods or people claiming to be gods 
walking all over the place. The emperors, the Caesars, are all claiming to be God or the Son of God. These are people steeped in myth and mystery. And so to hear God is walking around maybe isn't that shocking for them. In fact, in the New Testament times, there was this group of people called the Gnostics who, who believed that Jesus was only appearing to be human. They accepted he is fully divine, but how can the divine enter into this evil, cruel, material world? Paul says, the Son of God, born of a woman, taking on flesh and really living both as God and both as human. And so he says, born of a woman. And why just born of a woman? Because he's also the son of God, fully God and fully human. And Paul says he is born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And here we have the end of the gospel in summary. In just this short verse, the son of God came down and became human in order that he might redeem those who had been enslaved and allowing them to enjoy the benefits and the rights of being called children of God. Adoption wasn't an uncommon thing in the ancient world. We see emperors adopting other men who were not their biological children. And once they went through this process of adoption, they enjoyed full legal and inheritance rights, the same as biological children. And so Paul is saying that in Jesus, Jesus born under the law, a fully observant Jew who fulfills the law and then frees us from having to fulfill the law ourselves. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a child, and if a child, then also an heir through God. See, it's by God's grace, not of anything that we do ourselves, but because God sends Jesus down into our mess, we can be called children. We can be adopted. Again, not because we earned anything. Not because we did anything on our own, but because of God's love and grace in reaching out to us. We can be called children of God and cry out, Abba, Father. In the rest of chapter 4 then, Paul looks at these Jews, looks at these Gentiles, He says, you've been set free. Jesus has come and he has freed you from the burden of fulfilling the law. He has allowed you to be called children of God. Why on earth would you go back to being slaves? Why on earth would you try and and make yourselves right before God? Why on earth would you want to go back and, and follow all these dietary laws and circumcision laws and go back to the whole... Uh, sacrificial system, why would you want to go back to being slaves? You have been freed 
you have been called sons and daughters. For our story, for for Paul, this story of the Son of God coming and being born of Mary in a manger is at the heart of his theology about what it means to be in Christ. The Son of God comes and becomes human and redeems us and restores us and gives us the rights of sonship. Remember back in Galatians three twenty nine, Paul had said, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. This Christmas story is an open invitation, not just for Jews, not just for Gentiles, not just for Greeks, not for the select few. This Christmas story isn't just for us here at Spring Creek. It's not just for us in the Church of the Brethren. This is a story meant to go out, meant to be good news for other people. This freedom, this redemption doesn't come about through anything that you do. You won't ever be good enough. Those that were following the law as good as the law was, it wasn't enough to free humanity. You aren't going to earn it. But the Son of God, who is born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem humanity, He has come. This morning, if you're still living as a slave. Maybe you're a slave to to old habits, to old temptations, to old addictions. Maybe you're a, a slave to, you feel like you just have to compete with people in the workplace. Or, or you're a slave to, to having to have more wealth, more money, more stuff. If Christmas for you is just about getting stuff, maybe you're a slave. If you feel like you need to be just like a culture that's focused on me or or a culture and, and politics that is just arguing about us versus them, which is who Paul writes to and says, knock it off. If you're a slave and this morning you feel like you're a slave to something, And being called a child, being called a son or a daughter sounds a whole lot better to you than being a slave day in and day out. Having someone else dictate everything for you. Having a law or or a boss dictate everything for you. If you want to be free There's a story about a man named Jesus who is the son of God, who is born of the woman, who came, born under the law, that we might be redeemed, that we might be free. If being a son or a daughter sounds a whole lot better to you than being a slave and you want to know more about what it means to be a son or a daughter, come and talk to me. Come and and talk to the person that that you came with this morning or talk to a a youth leader. Talk to somebody this morning and say, help me out. I feel like a slave. I want to know more about what it means to be free in Jesus. Come and talk to somebody this morning. Don't leave without 
asking some questions and finding out more about what it means to be a son or a daughter, being an heir in Christ. This morning as we close our service, we're going to be turning in our brown hymnal to number 269, How Great Our Joy. This is a story about joy, being free, no longer being slaves, being called children. That should bring joy to our lives. Would you stand